You're listening to Counter Moves, a Christian review of ideas shaping church and culture. On Counter Moves, we interview some of today's most incisive thinkers on the ideas and trends affecting Christian witness in a secular age. Our mission is summed up in the words of Carl F.H. Henry. If the church fails to apply the central truth of Christianity to social problems correctly, someone else will do so incorrectly. Welcome to the latest episode of Counter Moves. Today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, a local Nashville pastor named Mike Harder. And Mike Harder is going to be actually the new co-host alongside me here at Counter Moves. Uh, we've become friends over the last probably 18 months or so, and have just kind of had a good connection, had good conversations. And uh, he raised the issue of, of himself wanting to start a podcast, and I said, "Well, hey, I have a podcast. Let's let's collaborate. Let's team up. See what we can do." And so, Mike Harder, which is a hard name to pronounce, Mike Space, the word Harder, is going to be the new co-host with me here at Counter Moves. And so, I wanted to take just a little bit to have a conversation with Mike um, for listeners to get to know him a little bit. Uh, get to know his heart, what his interests are, both pertaining to kind of church ministry, culture, but also he's a PhD student at Southeastern Seminary, doing some really intriguing work that I'll get to later, um, but work that I think is really applicable to the culture that we're living in. So, Mike, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a new co-host here on Counter Moves. Thanks, Andrew. It's uh, exciting to be able to do this with you. I remember, uh, like you mentioned, just kind of thinking and praying about what it would look like to do a podcast, and you were at the top of my list. So I remember calling you and saying, hey, listen, I have this this crazy idea. It'd be fun to do a podcast together uh, about church and culture and how those two intersect and some of the issues that are facing us. And I had this idea. I was like, man, it'd be awesome to do this together. And so when you said, I already am doing that, at first I was like, oh, no. <laughs> And then, and then you quickly followed up with saying, "But what if we were able to do this together?" And I got really, really excited because yeah. it was confirmation that this is something that'd be really good to do. Yeah. And so I'm excited. I remember meeting you. I remember actually being in one of the ERLC classes with you guys in DC last year. And the reason I took that, it wasn't really even in my uh, PhD program, but I saw it. And I said, "I really believe that our churches and our people." Uh, need to have better understanding of what it looks like to be a Christian in culture. I really see that there's a uh, deep need for us to have uh, great answers to the questions that culture is actually asking and to bring just the wisdom that God has given us to the world to even help other believers um, process through a lot of the things that are happening as culture changes really quickly. And so uh, the guys at the ERLC, the guys and girls at the ERLC, they've been so incredible. And I just really, really value this this organization, and they've just been such a blessing to me. So I'm just really excited to just be a part of what God is doing at the ERLC. That's great. Hey, so give listeners just a little bit of insight into who you are. So you're a pastor here in the center of Nashville. Uh, So tell us a little bit about your church. You guys just recently went, transitioned, kind of a revitalization maybe uh, to a new name, but we'd love to hear a little bit about that. And then maybe just about your family, and then maybe some you know, what are some intellectual interests and cultural interests that would make you want to be talking about these types of issues on a podcast? The one thing that's really um, foundational who I am and the way I see the world is 
where I grew up. So I grew up in Bogota, Colombia. My parents were missionaries there, church planners, and I grew up during the uh, most difficult season to live in Colombia. So in the middle of a drug war, I grew up in the middle of a drug war. So Escobar and his uh, narco like heyday was was during my my formative years. So so you're listening to Vanilla Ice on the weekdays. <laughs> And then hearing about Pablo Escobar on the weeknights, right? This is this is your childhood. Is my, this what I'm hearing? My childhood was like very much the '90s, yes, <laughs> '80s and '90s. But it was also like, man, it was it was wild to experience just that kind of upheaval and fear in a community, yeah. And to experience what it looked like to be salt and light in a community that desperately needed the gospel. And so, uh, growing up there was pretty wild. Like all the stuff that you you see on any of the documentaries or shows about. Columbia. That was kind of our experience growing up. Yeah. So in the middle of that, though, uh, I felt God later calling me into ministry and to do church planning, just like my my dad did. And so I came and uh, was going through a season where I was really seeking where God wanted me to go plant. I thought it was going to be overseas. And instead, to my surprise, God called me to Nashville, Tennessee, to plant a church. Um, and when I felt called to do that, I just said, listen, God, I, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. But if you're calling me in Nashville, I want this to be a church that sends people to the nations, that we have a heart for people in our community, that we really engage with people who are far from God, uh, be a place that people can come home, but then also that you would use this to be a church that sends people to the nations for the glory of God. So that was a big part of my heart, and it's been really cool to see God do that. So we we are a church that's uh, in, in Nashville proper. We're right near Vanderbilt. And God has been really faithful. He's uh, seen us reach people from all over the world and send them back to where they uh, originally were from and uh, encourage them to be salt and light where they're from. So that's pretty cool. And the name of the church. I don't think you shared that yeah, yet. So, maybe, maybe you did. I missed it. Yeah. So our church is called The Gospel Church. Because Which is like what, kind of honest advertising. You know, it's like, what, what are you about? Uh, we're about the gospel. Right. Uh, we're not about like smoke and mirrors and fog machines. With a name like Gospel Church, signifies we're probably about the gospel. That's right. So, this is what you're getting. Right. And here's the crazy thing: no one had the name. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. It's like nobody had the name. Like we we were looking for churches, and I, it's so hard to find a name for a church because in a city like Nashville, there is uh, a million churches, and all the names are taken. All the really right. good ones that you're already starting to think about, they're already there. And all of a sudden, we just came uh, to the place where we're like, well, what about the gospel church. And we did a search. There was no gospel church on Instagram, nothing on Twitter, nothing uh, in, uh, we, we got like the gospelchurch.com. It was just like sitting there and we got really excited because that's what we want to be all about. I mean, it's almost as though you, you decided to name your church like Jesus Church. Right. It's like, it's like, well, how come, surely there's something out here titled by this, but apparently there's not. not so the I, gospel now I'm going to wonder yeah. if there's actually a church called Jesus Church somewhere, which somebody is furiously like, Googling that and, right and now. Buying, and buying the domain, right. jesuschurch.com. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your family. So I've got uh, three little girls, a seven-year-old, five-year-old. I. I know. We're dads of all the girls. little girls. So there's a lot of pink in my life, and uh, I never thought I would ever experience uh, fatherhood like this. I always thought I was going to have little boys, but I think God wanted me to have emotions and feelings. I think yeah. I literally, I think that God brought these little girls in my life so that I could understand more than just either being hungry or being bored. Like literally those are the two emotions I had 
And God's been bringing me all kinds of different experiences having little girls. I love it. So I've been married to Tabitha for 10 years now. Uh, She's an incredible woman of God. I love my wife. And it's been awesome to just be in this journey together. That's awesome. And and remind me, how long have you been in Nashville? I'm not sure I heard that. So I've been here 10 years. Okay. No, actually, it's 11 now. So I've been... Uh, we we <laughs> this is funny. This is a funny part of my story. I got married and I planted the church the same year. Okay, so you weren't busy at all. Wouldn't advise that yeah. to anybody. But it was one of those moments where it was just like I really feel called to plant this church, and I really love this girl. Yeah. And I'm not putting either of these off. I'm going to go pursue this. That's so, awesome, man. A really really stressful year, but also a lot of fun. So. Help listeners understand. So, I guess maybe what are some of your interests culturally when you when you look at the issues facing America, Western society uh, that kind of really perplexes you when you think about the relationship between Christianity and culture? Like, where's where are some intersections that you're intrigued by? Well, you know, I'm really interested in where culture is going, and I'm also really somebody who enjoys studying uh, the rise of postmodernism mm-hmm. and deconstruction and how that really affects people in the way that they think. The the change in the way people even perceive the Bible and even understand uh, what it looks like to have uh, truth claims challenged is a really interesting dynamic. And so I almost wrote on that in my mm-hmm. PhD studies, like how to preach to people who are post-Christian yeah. and I find that a lot of our people in in Nashville, even though Nashville is known as like the buckle of the Bible belt, the kind of people my church has been reaching are not that. Most of them are first-generation Christians, have a lot of questions about Christianity, what it looks like to know Christ, but they they are very excited about Jesus. And so it's it's really interesting to see like how people think and how they process what it looks like to be a Christian in culture and be in in both worlds. Uh, Not to be somebody who's like hiding from culture, or somebody who's against it, but rather somebody who's in it and is a transformative voice uh, with it. And so I, I think those are the things I'm really, really interested in. Like, how do we really walk as followers of Jesus in a world that is not really the same culture that our parents grew up in? Right. And right. a lot of the rules that they played by, we, we can't play by those anymore. So how do we live in, in, in a way today that we really engage in that way? And that's that's one of the reasons why I'm really interested about this podcast is because I think it gives us a place to kind of explore some of those issues. Like, what does it look like to be faithful as a follower of Jesus in a world that um, in some ways is, is new new territory, especially for us here in America? Yeah. So I, I want to get here talking about your dissertation because I, I, it's one of the few dissertations I've ever heard of that I actually think is kind of actually attention-grabbing because 99% of dissertations are not. So I'll get there in a second. But just kind of interested in who are some really formative kind of Christian voices in your life when you look through Christian history? So, you know, we all, as Lewis, I believe, said, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants who've who've preceded us. So who are some of the voices that you look to as figures in Christian history that you think model and demonstrate faithfulness and kind of intrigue as far as what they— thought and, and maybe how they thought? That's a great, great question. Uh, for me, there are some contemporary people that have really affected me mm-hmm. and helped me think through uh, some of these categories. And then there are some that have walked 
down this path a lot longer. For me, historically, guys like Jonathan Edwards, who I'm writing my dissertation yeah. on, has been incredibly influential, not only through his stuff directly, but the kinds of people that he influenced. Right. So if you look at even preachers today, a lot of these guys really look to Edwards to influence them. And so there's like, basically you can create like a who's who of like who your favorite preacher is. And it's likely that Edwards was one of the most transformational people in their life. Mm. And so Edwards is a big one for me. Uh, I also deeply, deeply appreciate guys like John Stott, mm. the way that he talks about building a bridge between the scriptures and the modern world and how to like be a really good bridge builder mm. and help people really understand what it means to to live according to biblical truth in today's world. I really have been deeply influenced by Tim Keller. Mm -hmm. Tim Keller is is a uh, wonderful brother. He actually um, was who I was going to write my dissertation on, and then he had something that he wrote about Edwards that just made me say, I just need to go look mm. down this path. Yeah, And so his work on... Christianity and culture and what it looks like to be a pastor in a in a community that um, is pretty intellectual, has a lot of questions about God, distrusts a lot of like established religious organizations, but yet is interested in being connected to Jesus is really interesting. And then how to help them actually grow in maturity. So Keller, I think, does some of the best work at helping people understand Christ uh, in a, in a post-Christian world. So I, I'm, I'm just, that's interesting. Between, you said Stott, Keller, and Edwards— it seems like all three of them, as I'm hearing you, they're all engaged in an act of cultural interpretation and then biblical uh, application. And so each of those figures stand out as figureheads for their time and kind of being trailblazers mm -hmm. and saying, this is the age we live in. This is an ancient text that hasn't changed in 1,700 years to 2,000 years, if we're going from measuring from Edwards to today. So how do we go about the task of not just applying the truths of Scripture, but undergoing kind of the epistemological translation from this culture to today's culture? What are your thoughts on how to do that? Well, that's something that I think is exactly why I'm really interested in those guys, because they do a really good job of teaching what the Word of God says. Mm -hmm. So they're all expositors. Uh, they like to say, this is what Scripture says, but they are also brilliant at thinking about what the congregation is thinking. Okay. And so, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to, as a communicator only to think about what you want to say. Like, I feel like this is what the text says, and I'm just going to say it. But all these men are really brilliant and thinking like, what does the community already think? And how can I ask the questions that they're asking better than they are asking them? Right. And then present Christ as a better option than than the desires of their heart. So it's it's almost like rephrasing what they say and then say, what you're really looking for, you really only find in Jesus. Uh-huh. Um, so guys like even Martin Lloyd-Jones, like these guys, these guys are brilliant and saying, this is what the scripture says. And then you should look to find your, your deepest longings in Christ. Mm. And, uh, I think there's something really powerful that happens when you do that. Keller says that when you preach this way, when you preach to people's affections, their hearts desire, which mm -hmm. is really what you're preaching people's heads and their hearts. Mm -hmm. When you, when you do that, you actually change people in their seat. And this is true. Like we find guys like... John Piper or others that are preaching in this way, and, and you find them actually 
creating a deeper love for Jesus as they're sitting there mm-hmm. and teaching you the word. Like you were listening and you're like, man, that's true. Jesus is worth following. He is someone that is worthy of my heart's affections. And there's just something really changing and stirring when you when you kind of preach that way. Uh, I consider myself a fellow Edwardsian. I remember being in seminary and getting my first glimpse of the richness that comes with Jonathan Edwards and actually reading portions of the religious affections and thinking I might not be a Christian because of because of how penetrating uh, Jonathan Edwards' insights are about sin dwelling in the human heart and the nature and wickedness of sin. And I remember being, you know, 23, 24 years old thinking, oh my word, I don't know if I'm a Christian now. Uh, I So I, I think that's maybe... Uh, a little bit of an, of an excessive response to Edwards' theology. Uh, so I don't endorse, or, nor would I say that's the normative way that people read Ed- Edwards, but that was one of my But the responses. fact that you longed for it reveals where your heart was. Like when you hear that, you're like, I want this kind right, of desire. Right, right. You're desiring to have your sin be as far away from you as possible, mm-hmm. right? So as a fellow Edwardsian, you are also an Edwardsian, and you're also a PhD student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, getting close to comps, or maybe you just have taken your comps, I forget which. Uh, it's next month. Okay, next month. So you're getting close to dissertation. So Mike is doing some really cool work. Uh, I've read some of his research on Edwards and his sermon contextualization. And so without totally geeking out and going on a 45-minute diatribe, like give us a little teaser in terms of like what you're studying and this, you know, you just wrote a massive paper with a, with a scholar uh, from Yale, uh, an Edwards scholar. And so I think this is fascinating and I think it hits, first off, uh, it, it summarizes everything you're interested in as far as the relationship between Christianity and culture but then also it speaks to what we're trying to do here at Countermoves, which is to have a podcast that's talking about uh, the gospel's relationship to the public square. So anyway, what are you doing for your dissertation? Well, thank you for being so kind to even like give me an opportunity to talk about it. They always say that the only person who really likes talking about their dissertation is the student. Like everybody <laughs> else like checks out. So you're very kind in saying that it's interesting. Um, I am really fascinated by Edward's change in his preaching when he loses his job and he decides to go be a missionary among the Indians at that time on, on the western frontier of the United States. So uh, if you know Edward's story, he was probably the most influential pastor in America in the 1700s, and he pastored a, for that day, a mega church in a very affluent community in Northampton, and he was famous throughout New England. And then he lost his job because he was willing to speak truth to power and call his people to say, we should really be Christians and not just say that we are. Mm -hmm. And so he lost his job. And instead of taking another massive church somewhere where they would have paid him really well, he chose to take a huge pay cut and go to the frontier because he believed that God wanted him to preach the gospel to the Indians in the town called Stockbridge. So he shows up there and um, throughout his whole life, he had preached one certain way, following a certain methodology, and it was very rigid in that methodology. And you can see his notes where he just kind of preaches like very similar structures throughout mm-hmm. his whole his whole career. And then when he shows up among the Indians, he changes radically mm-hmm. the way that he speaks to them and the way that he calls them to love Jesus and know Jesus. And so previously to, to the last couple of years, most of these sermons were inaccessible. They hadn't mm-hmm. been transcribed. Edward's writing is famously like code. Like you can hardly understand mm-hmm. what he says because his writing is kind of 
flows and it's kind of hard to like, kind of figure out how he's writing it. But the scholars at Yale um, at the Edwards Center have actually recently just transcribed them so you can actually read them and compare them. Hmm. And so it's sort of a unique opportunity to come and say, hey, listen, these are the ways that Edwards contextualized how he preached to reach people who are different than uh, his own people. And it's a unique opportunity because we don't really have a lot of these examples of these very high-powered intellectual people who are very successful and at the height of their their leadership and intellect, moving to a place where uh, they're starting all over. And so it's a great way to kind of say, hey, what are things that are timeless about this? What are some things that we can learn as, as scholars and preachers and pastors on how to reach people in our culture that is now changing? Because the, the reality is we don't have to leave where we live right now to experience a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. It used to be like, man, you got to move to Colombia or got to go to Africa to experience another culture. Today, I think one of the reasons why we're seeing such a tough conflict in our in our culture just in general is because there are multiple cultures within our current mm-hmm. experience and they're even within families. And so to, how to know how to like really reach people like that is really important for us as Christian leaders. Well, again, I think this is really fascinating from a passion for Edwards and then also this issue of contextualization and translation of the gospel to different cultures. Well, I want to wrap us up and conclude for today's first interview with our new co-host, Mike Harder. We will continue to be back once a month here starting this month in January, and we'll be continuing onward uh, here in 2019. So, Mike, thanks for joining us, and I look forward to you being a co-host. Man, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to be a part of you guys' lives. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.